Super Talk Mississippi media production. Coleman Taylor Transmission, servicing Central Mississippi for over 60 years. Their ASE certified technicians offer dependable transmission services, a warranty, and record services. Call Coleman Taylor today for all your transmission needs. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good morning and welcome to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Gerard Gibbert is out today. I'm Richard Cross. Glad to be with you. Rhino also is out, and that means Will East is on the other side of the glass. The bullpen. Happy Tuesday. What's up, my friend? It's a bad weather day. Yeah, and crazy, right? Because it started out, I don't know what it was like here in the capital city right out of the gate this morning. But when I walked out of the house at, at 6.30, 7 o'clock, get the kids together out, out the door, out to school, it was gorgeous. Yeah, crisp, cool, had kind of like the, the feathery sky with the mm-hmm. little glow of the sunrise. And, um, boy, it's changed in a hurry. I talked to my wife a little while ago. She's like, yeah, it um, between about 8.15 and 9 o'clock, it, it shifted. It got gray. The wind picked up. And uh, this is one of those you've-got-to-be-weather-aware days, and we're going to try to help you do that as we uh, go throughout the show this morning. Uh, we'll be joined by one of the meteorologists from uh, the National Weather Service office here in Jackson about half an hour from now. We're going to try and understand. It's crazy. Well, if you look at the radar, there's nothing there. right? It's, one, it's not one of those systems that's camped out in Texas and is slowly moving and picking up steam. It's, uh, it's just kind of like creating from nothing, which is a little bit of... You know, kind of blows my mind a little bit how that works. Yeah, and it's almost the entire state, right? Um, Maybe some parts of the coast and maybe some parts of uh, northeast Mississippi might not be affected. But for the most part, it's almost the entire state, especially the Delta, uh, all around the Mississippi River. That seems to be the the area where you see the red, and the red is not good. Red is is certainly not good, and that's the thing, right? I mean, you had the, the, the text message screenshots that were floating around, and you've seen them. Uh, on Twitter and everywhere else where it's like two days in advance, you get like, this is the threat level. It's like, no, 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 tell me the threat level once the storm develops. When you know two days in advance that this much of the state of Mississippi is going to be in red, we, uh, we've we got uh, problems. So uh, an advanced threat level, of course, will keep you up to date throughout the course of the day here on Super Talk Mississippi as is necessary with uh, bad weather coming in. We are coming to you from the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or give them a call, 601-957-6006. That's 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. As always, we would love to hear from you. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. That's the number for you to be a part of the conversation. Again, 601-879-4395 if you want to jump in and uh, and chat with us. So this is not a sports story. I mean, it is. But the angle, uh, don't, don't pigeonhole me. Just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not immediately, oh, it's the sports guy, and the first thing he wants to talk about is sports. This is a... An international geopolitical story 
And it's downright scary. So the sports angle is, this afternoon, the United States plays Iran in what is basically an elimination game in the group stage of the World Cup. If the United States wins, then they advance to the knockout stage, which is kind of the second round of the World Cup. You have 16 groups of four teams, and from each of those groups, two teams advance to the to the knockout round, and then it turns into bracket play and until you get to the end. And because of a couple of draws against uh, Wales and England, the United States has put itself in a position where to advance to the knockout stage, they have to win today in the World Cup against Iran. But here's where the political stuff comes in. The United States soccer account tweeted out a picture of the Iranian flag without the Iranian Republic symbol on that, and it caused kind of an international uproar. So this is the second time in the history of the World Cup, 1998 was the first, that the United States and Iran have won. Um, Iran won that match in 1998, 2-1. It was considered to be a low point in U.S. soccer. It feels like there have been a lot of low points in U.S. soccer. Sorry, not piling on. Uh, but but the high points have, have been far and few between. A lot of build-up to this match, trying to get to that next stage of the World Cup after not making it four years ago. Uh, when Iran won, and I'm paraphrasing, the Ayatollah at the, uh, at the time basically said... Uh, the arrogant Yanks got what they deserved, or, or something along those lines. So not a lot of uh, not a lot of sporting humility there uh, between those two. So the backdrop is you've got protests that are happening in Iran over treatment of their citizens. You've got fraught relations between the United States and Iran on the geopolitical front because of. Uh, what the the nuclear program and you know are we friends are we not friends do you keep your friends close and your enemies closer uh, the way that previous administrations have handled and treated Iran and shipping them airplane loads of cash um, it, it, like there's all of this stuff going on in the backdrop and then you get you get it pushed forward with the uh, the tweet that came from U.S. Soccer and then. In a pre-match press conference yesterday, the um, the United States captain and coach were there, and you basically had Iranian journalists, I'm using that term loosely, journalists, <laughs> who were just grilling the Americans about the tweet. Um, you know, how do you you know you, you you talk about problems in Iran, but how do you play for a um, uh, for a country that is so incredibly repressive to black people, like just putting these guys on the defensive, and you know, and and he started it out by saying, and, and I'm not going to pretend or try to do an Iranian accent, but uh, I think I've pronounced it correctly because the journalist said, once and for all, our country is not Iran, as you say, we are Iran. <laughs> and then he he goes. So that's first, and now my question is, you know, about you know repression in the uh, in the United States, and uh, uh, the American captain basically said, well, first of all, my apologies for the mispronunciation, and second, um, you know, you have racial issues everywhere, 
Uh, and I've been all over the world, and I've seen what those are like. And because of my background, and because my wife is of African American descent, I've been able to assimilate in different countries. He handled it beautifully, but goodness, it is—it's um, a mess. I mean, you could not ask for, especially right now with the things going on in Iran. Uh, with the protests and um, women, you know, fighting, basically rioting for not even equal rights. I think that's out of the question in that country. Uh, just, you know, human rights, mm-hmm. I, would, I guess I would say. And now um, the United States has to play them in the World Cup in an elimination game, right? Yes. If Iran wins or draws, ties they advance. The United States must win to advance. So there's one other element to this. The Iranian soccer team had a bit of a protest itself Mm -hmm. in its first match. When they stood on the field, on the pitch, prior to their first match of the World Cup, when the Iranian national anthem was being played, they did not sing. They stood there in silent protest while their national anthem was playing. That has uh, not been received well by the Iranian government, the regime, if you will. So Iran has been facing persistent domestic protest for over two months since 22-year-old Masa Amini reportedly died in police custody after being arrested for improperly wearing her hijab, the headgear. The Iranian soccer team has supported the protesters... And before their game against England, they stood silently for their home country's national anthem, declining to sing along. Their team captain said conditions in our country are not right and our people are not happy. Uh, They should know that we are with them, we support them, and we sympathize with them. CNN reported yesterday that families of the Iranian team have been, quote, threatened with imprisonment and torture if the players fail to, quote, behave, close quote, (laughs) in the lead-up to today's game against the United States. And the Iranian players had to meet with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps after their demonstration before the game against England. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like... You remember your mom, you'd, you'd act up, and your mom, you'd be out in public somewhere, and your mom would say, I can't wait till I get you back home because I'm going. That's exactly the, the feeling that I get. The, they can't wait until they get the World Cup is over and they get that team back. Only this time it may be something much worse than a whooping. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's going to be uh, going to be great news. We're going to talk about something that is great news when we come back. Got a busy three hours for you. Mary Stratton-Smith, who is uh, Vice President at Bank Plus, will join us next. Bank Plus continuing its partnership with uh, the Children's Hospital Winter Wonderland event, which is just around the corner. We're going to learn more about that on the other side of this timeout. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert. Middays on Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Wealth Studios. With Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Don't forget, ceasefire text line is open to you at 601-879-4395. Thanks for being with us this morning on Middays. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert in the Element Wealth Studios. Happy to welcome to the show this morning Mary Stratton-Smith from Bank Plus. To uh, to talk about what's coming up uh, at uh, at Children's of Mississippi and Bank Plus and Winter Wonderland and all of these things. Great to see you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I did. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Um, we are so excited about uh, Winter Wonderland. This is our second year to have the event, and it actually started in 2019 at Children's of Alabama. Our CEO, Bill Ray, and his wife, Sarah, kind of got word of it and saw some videos and some footage of it and really wanted to, to bring the event to Jackson. And, of course, the natural partner was Children's of Mississippi. Yeah, so there's there's nothing that's more holiday festive than a Christmas tree, right? So walk me through what Winter Wonderland is, what this is going to be. Well, the patients will be invited down to the courtyard outside of the Kathy and Joe Sanderson Tower, and there are trees of all different colors. There will be snow and elves and Santa, and it's a true Winter Wonderland experience for kids who are stuck in a hospital, um, who might not have the opportunity to visit a real tree farm. We sort of wanted to bring that experience to them. Yeah, so real trees. They're... they're Artificial trees, about three foot, and they'll be all different colors, and they'll receive a bag of ornaments, a star, lights, cookies, a book. Um, it's just really a, a whole experience for these kids. And just to be able to to see this Christmas magic through the eyes of a child is yeah. so rewarding for me, both as a parent and as a Bank Plus employee. Well, and, and Mary Stratton, you've probably experienced this as well, so... At our house, I mean, you know, we've got in in our living room the the Christmas tree, but the kids through the years have enjoyed having a a tree in their room. I think my son's got a red one, and my youngest daughter's got a pink Christmas tree, and my oldest daughter's got a silver one, and they kind of make that theirs. And so it's about taking – I mean, nobody wants to be in the hospital, but if you can make it feel more like home, man, you've really accomplished something. Absolutely, and we truly could not – pull this event off without our partners at Revelace Hardware. They are so generous in uh, providing the trees and the lights and the batteries, and it just really makes the these hospital rooms feel a little bit more like what home would feel like. Like you said, with that yeah. traditional Christmas tree and the ornaments, um, it just kind of provides a little holiday cheer for these kids who are really in need of it. That's what I was going to say, right? Cheer is the right word. And yeah. you get this on the 1st of December, so it's mm-hmm. coming up on Thursday, mm-hmm. and you know, people pull out the calendars and they start marking the days off. There are some of these kids that are in the hospital on December 1st that may right. still be there on December 25th. Absolutely. Um, and, and so whether they're going to be going home between now and then or will still be in the hospital, it's all about trying to kind of create some excitement and make it feel good for them during this holiday season. Absolutely. And we actually leave some um, trees and goodie bags and decorations behind for the kids who might check in on, say, December 2nd or December 22nd. Um, So there will be an opportunity for all of the children who are inpatient at Children's of Mississippi to, to really experience this Winter Wonderland event, whether or not you're there on December 1st. All right, so the relationship between Bank Plus and, and Children's of Mississippi, this is not right. new. I mean, you, you talked about this. 
particular event being mm-hmm. only a couple of years old, mm-hmm. but the relationship between two great Mississippi institutions is not new. Right. We have had a commitment to Children's of Mississippi for a really long time, and um, this is just another way for us to really uh, show that investment and to be able, for these kids to to come down and to have this experience and for us to be able to to be a part of that is is so rewarding and it really allows um, us to be the the boots on the ground mm-hmm. of these bank plus employees for this commitment all right so what's the um like in, in a practical sense bank mm-hmm. plus employees involved on Thursday on site kind of right. helping with the process right absolutely um we have at bank Plus employees who will be dressed up as elves. We have Bank Plus employees who. What are, are you going? What are you going to be dressed as? Well, I, Do you know yet? <laughs> I will not be in an elf costume yet, but that that remains Ooh. to be seen. That could, it certainly could happen. But um, we for every um, every tree that needs to be moved, every ornament bag that needs to uh, be assembled and tied. We've had Bank Plus employees that have helped prior to the event. We'll be there at the event and we'll be there after the event too for the for the breakdown process. So. All right, so is this an event that is just for the kids at the hospital and Bank Plus or is it something where uh, members of the public, Bank Plus customers and others could come by and, and kind of be involved and see it happening as well? It's not open to the public. Okay. Um, it's strictly for the Bank Plus uh, for the Children's of Mississippi patients. Okay. Um, of course, due to, to uh, health concerns and security, um, but we really wanted this to be something that um, the we want the we want the public to know about it because it is such a rewarding thing to be a part of, and um, we want you to support your local Revelace Hardware stores because they are such a big part of this too. So um, this is, like I said earlier, this is really an a important part of our boots-on-the-ground effort for children. You've mentioned Rebel Ace Hardware a couple of times. The uh, the local hardware stores are so yeah. important to our community. It's like fabric within Absolutely. our communities all across the state of Mississippi. Tell me a little bit more about what it is that Rebel Ace Hardware is doing. Well, the original event at Children's of Alabama was also a partnership with some local Ace Hardware stores. Mm-hmm. So um, when we decided to sort of get the ball rolling on this event we uh, reached out to to revel ace and um they could not have said yes quicker and you know they have made such a huge investment as far as the donation of the trees and like i said the lights and the batteries and as a parent you know batteries are not cheap um and also um the manpower you know they've got they will have people there at the event um on thursday and they'll help you know with the trees and uh put putting the bank uh, the ace hardware tags on the tree so they everybody um who is a part of this event is going to be able to touch it in some way visiting with mary stratton smith she is a, a vice president at uh, bank plus we're talking about winter wonderland which is coming up this thursday december 1st a partnership between bank plus and children's of mississippi and uh, if you happen to be just joining us we'll, we'll go back to where we began uh all of the inpatient Patients, I guess I'm being redundant there. The, the patients who are staying at the hospital, mm-hmm. if they are able, will have the opportunity to come down to the Winter Wonderland area and pick out a tree and decorate it mm-hmm. and then take it back to their hospital room. Yes, and we actually, uh, even though the the outpatient kids are, um, they won't, they don't receive a tree because they will, you know, theoretically be going home for Christmas. They still get to meet Santa and sort of see the event and kind of experience it in a way that they they might not have. 
otherwise. You know, one of the things that, that stands out to me, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, it's one thing to see the kids and their faces light up, and that's ultimately what this is about. Of course. But the other piece of this is parents or caretakers who mm-hmm. have so much stress on them, they're worried to death about their child, whatever the illness may be, and for those parents and caretakers to be able to see maybe the burden lifted off of their children for a little while, that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, Yeah. even for just a moment. You know, we want to sort of uh, be just a a momentary distraction of of whatever illness they may be facing and also to to be able to provide some some joy to the parents as well. And, of course, it's exciting for the children to choose a tree and the lights and the ornaments. But, you know, as a parent, I know how meaningful it would be to see my child enjoy and experience something like this, and that's just invaluable. You know, the other thing that uh, that really stands out to me, and, and clearly through this partnership it, it is important to Bank Plus, is not only the importance, but how much pride as Mississippians we should have in children of right. Mississippi. Um, and, and there's so many different entities that have helped, right? I mean, Joe and Kathy Sanderson mm-hmm. through the, the golf tournament and, and kind of their personal involvement as well with that, that new tower that's just spectacular. Bank Plus and the long-time relationship and so many other companies in Mississippi who have yeah. said, not only are we proud of this, but this matters here. Yeah, it's um, and the San- J- Kathy and Joe Sanderson Tower is an incredible facility, yeah. and it is truly state of the art. And um, like you said, it's something that we can absolutely be proud of. And you know, it's something that and it's as, necessary, absolutely. And you know, we have kids from n- not just Mississippi, from some from Louisiana who are coming too. So for this to be sort of um, someone's gateway into to healthcare yeah. in Mississippi. Mississippi is is invaluable. Well, and centrally located in the state of Mississippi, right? I mean, right. In, in you know, if you want to go back however far, you, you don't have to go to New Orleans or Little Rock or Birmingham or Memphis. You can stay at home, and you want to talk about lifting stress, being able to stay in your home state close to home right. in a difficult time makes it all the better. Yeah. Well, and that's what we want to do. We want to bring um, Christmas, who can't be at home, we want to bring it to them, too. Winter Wonderland, presented by Bank Plus, coming to Children's of Mississippi. That is this Thursday, December 1st, 1 o'clock. All the inpatient kids are going to have the opportunity to come down and uh, get festive and get ready for the holidays. Mary Stratton, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much. We can't wait. This is Middays. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert with you on this Tuesday. We're going to talk weather in the Magnolia State. And unfortunately, it ain't great on this Tuesday. We'll be right back. Christmas tree, have a happy holiday. Everyone dancing merrily in the new old-fashioned way. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. weather events where if you looked at the radar before you went to bed last night, you're like, where's it coming from? There's nothing there, but it is happening already in North Mississippi, 
and we are getting ready, unfortunately, for uh, what is likely to be a severe weather day in the state of Mississippi. Welcome back to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert. Uh, let's go and uh, visit with Bill Parker right now from the National Weather Service in the Jackson office. Bill, thanks for a few minutes of your time on what is trending toward uh, being a pretty busy day for uh, for you and all of your colleagues. Well, thank you for having us, and thank you for helping us get the message out. All right, so what are we looking at? I mean, this is one of those events that people have kind of been talking about for a couple of days, but now that we have uh, have made it to the day with this um, uh, this system arriving and, and we see severe weather alerts and uh, heads up for high winds, potential hail, maybe big hail, potential tornadoes, what's going on? Well, we've got a, we've got a strong cold front that's going to move through this afternoon and evening. Um, ahead of that, that, that front, we have moist, warm air. And whenever you have a front and you have moist, warm air ahead of it, you got the potential for thunderstorms. And um, just things are setting up for severe thunderstorms. We have plenty of moisture, so these storms will live for a long time. Um, and they have the potential of producing tornadoes. And if a storm is living for a long time and, and it's capable of producing tornadoes, then we can have what we call long-track tornadoes mm. um, because the, the tornadoes will be on the ground for quite a while. All right, so, Bill, is that because of the speed at which this cold front is moving, or maybe I should say the lack of speed at which it's moving that's going to allow this yeah. to, to be such a long day? Yeah, the system is moving through pretty slow, and so um, and and that's going to give us, the, again, the potential for those storms to, to linger around our area for a while. If it was moving through pretty quick, then the storms will move out pretty quick, but because the system is moving rather slow, um, we also have a threat for flash flooding as well. It's almost like clockwork, right? I mean, I was looking at the uh, the kind of temperature map a second ago, and you've got kind of through the Midwest, like splitting Kansas diagonally and working up to the north and then kind of all the way back to southwest Texas. It's cold on the backside of this, that, that front that a lot of snow already out west. But when you look to the southeast, I mean, you're talking mid-upper 70s in New Orleans, around 70 here in Jackson, upper 60s. It's like clockwork, right? I mean, this is the weather that we deal with this time of year. Well, we'll go from, you know, lows in the 20s a couple of weeks ago to now we're up into the 70s again. Exactly, exactly. And what I, what I tell people all the time, a lot of people think that severe weather season for us is mainly focused on the spring, but not here in the deep south. Our severe weather season normally starts in November, and then it runs all the way through May. And so, um, you know, when we get these cold fronts pushing through and we got warm, moist air ahead of it, then we're going to see some th- some thunderstorms that can produce tornadoes, hail, and damaging straight-line winds. Bigger picture, Bill, predictive models for, for this coming winter, and I, I don't know how much you guys at the National Weather Service re- rely on those. I, is there a general thought, um, and now I'm going to just like throw something out that shows that I have no idea what I'm talking about. La Nina, El Nino, is there any of that stuff going that's going to affect throughout the course of the winter months, whether we have a cold winter, a snowy winter, a mild winter? What do we know about that right now? Well, right now we're looking at possibly having a, a, a mild winter. Um, that's what basically um, the, the Climate Prediction Center has been showing, okay. that it's going to be a pretty much a mild winter. But, you know, um, as it relates to when it comes with the weather, you know, if, if a strong cold front comes through and we've got moist, warm air ahead of it, we're going to see severe storms in our area. And that can happen in, again, November. It can happen in December. It can happen in January. And then yeah. we know what 
what kicks up in the springtime. Visiting with Bill Parker from the National Weather Service in the Jackson office. Okay, specifically across the state of Mississippi, what are we watching out for? What is our time horizon today? And uh, we'll, we'll get into some safety measures in just a minute. So, so timing-wise, um, let's start from west and work our way east. Okay. Um, so looking at the river counties of, let's say, Arkansas, Mississippi, and then the river parishes of Louisiana, we can see storms begin to initiate where we out. And when we say initiate, where we're, we're probably issuing warnings on them sometime between noon and 2 p.m. Okay. As we progress east to the I-55 corridor, we think we will start issuing warnings sometime between 2 and 4 o'clock. Okay. Okay. And then um, around 4 to, to 6 time frame for, you know, the I-59 corridor and eastern counties of Mississippi. Now, because the system is moving so slow, um, you know, going back to the river counties, we think that we could be issuing warnings throughout the afternoon and evening for that area and pretty much across the state. Um, But we think it should be clearing sometime around midnight or shortly before for the western parts of the state. And then shortly after midnight, we should be have the system push through the I-55 corridor. And it, mm. it could linger until daybreak. We could see um, storms linger until daybreak for the eastern part of the state. And when I say daybreak, daybreak on Wednesday morning. And, and Bill, you've been around this, I'm sure, for a long time. And, uh, you know, it, it, it never happens where the bad weather just happens during the daylight hours and then it moves on and we can all rest easily. It feels like when uh, when these storms pop through so many times we're dealing with the overnight hours and the darkness just adds to the the uncertainty for a lot of people. If if you lose power, uh, if you've got storms going through, if you've got young children at home, and so parents, elderly people, everybody, got to really be aware even as we trend toward bedtime tonight, right? Yes. Um, you know, nighttime tornadoes are, are the most dangerous ones, and that's because you can't see them coming. Um, a lot of times people are asleep and they can't take the proper precautions um, like moving into an interior room, um, putting as many walls between them as possible. Um, so preparedness is going to be key. It's going to be very key um, with this situation tonight. As you know, we have a large population of mobile homes in our state. Right. Um, and so um, I would advise you know individuals to go to the MEMA site and look at where they have community shelters in the state. If you live in a mobile home, um, you might want to um, take shelter at one of our um, community tornado shelters. Um, they also, you know, if you don't want to go there, you know, if you have a, a family or a friend that have a strong, sturdy home, um, you can, you know, take uh, residence with them during this time um, on, on tonight. Um, as, as we monitor this situation tonight, um, we're going to be issuing warnings at the National Weather Service. We're, we're going to be on Facebook Live this evening as we start issuing warnings and, and providing as much inf- information as we can possible with these storms. All right, so in terms of preparation, these are uh, just basic ideas. Visiting with Bill Parker from the National Weather Service, now is a good time to be planning, right, get, get your phone charged. If you've got one of those portable battery packs that you can you can charge your phone without having to plug into an outlet, make sure that's charged as well so you're prepared for the overnight hours. Uh, maybe you want to get, what, extra blankets, pillows, if, if you've got a mattress or some sort of headgear that you want to put on kids. Have that stuff ready so that you're not scrambling in the middle of the night trying to find it, right? 
Exactly, exactly. So um, get your pillows, your blankets, have your helmets, your baseball helmet, the bicycle helmet, any type of um, thing that you can do to protect the head because most tornado fatalities actually occur because of um, head injuries. And so, um, and then pick out that, that safe place in your home. Um, pick out that hallway, that bathroom, um, that, that, that area that has as many walls that, that separate you from the outside element. And then, again, if you live in a two-story home, you want to be on the lowest floor of your home, um, again, and put as many walls between you and the outside as possible. Very good. And then final thing, Bill, in terms of people that are traveling, whether they have to be on the road for work or they're in the medical industry or whatever reason, we know people are out in their cars all over the state of Mississippi every single day. For those people that have to be on the road today, what's the word of advice? Um. You know, monitor the situation. If you if you're traveling and let's say you you are in a, a tornado warning, then you want to try to find a structure that you can drive to. Um, you know, a restaurant, gas station, somewhere where you can go in and take cover until the storm passes. Bill, thanks so much. Now it's going to be a busy day for uh, you and all of your colleagues at the National Weather Service. Appreciate uh, you sharing an update with us. And, and I guess final thing. Obviously, you can't predict the future, but when we start talking about what's happening here, the likelihood for tornadoes, it's really strong, isn't it? Yeah, we have we have a moderate risk out for pretty much a large part of our state. But here's what I want to tell everybody. Um, don't focus on the red circle, that the moderate risk. Really, the entire state of Mississippi um, um, is pretty much under a severe weather threat today. Um, the entire state is 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 in the under threat for a significant tornado threat, meaning EF two and stronger tornadoes. Whew. And so, um, um, it's something that that it's not just focused on the central part of the state; it's really the entire state that we're taking a look at, and we're concerned about with these tornadoes on today. Bill Parker from the National Weather Service. Bill, thanks so much. All right, thank you, sir. Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibber. We've got more coming up with you. We'll wrap up the first hour after this and then a busy rest of the show. We'll tell you about what's coming up when we come back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. That's why I made it a priority my entire career to work closely with you. From the time I got to the Senate 180 years ago, as well as my tenure as vice president. Wait, what? In in the 10 years that he was vice president? Did I catch that right? That's not even the most outrageous part. The 180, the, the 180 years. Well, well, I can appreciate the hyperbole. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, I'm, uh, you know. I've been around here 200 years. You know, you think he might be joking when he says that, but when he says my 10 years as vice president. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, older than Methuselah, I'm, I'm you with you. I, I can appreciate the uh, the 180 years I was in the Senate. I, I actually uh, will give the president tip of the cap on that. But the, the 10 years that I was the vice president... <laughs> That's not, yeah, you're not joking when you say that. That's, that's less a, funny. A flub. I mean, you've almost got to go like you know the 180 years I was in the Senate and the 40 years I spent as Vice President. <laughs> then we're all then we're all good. Um, just to follow up on our conversation with Bill Parker and appreciate him joining us on a busy weather day in the state of Mississippi. Uh, be sure to stay tuned in to whatever's happening locally. So if you are listening on a local Super Talk station, uh, just know that your local. Um, office is going to keep you up with what's happening in your specific area uh this afternoon on sports talk between three and six we certainly are going to keep you up to date with what's happening all across the uh the state of mississippi as best we can uh, you, you know that i live in oxford and so i my kids go to the oxford school district and i got an email just a little while ago they, they've kind of given us a preemptive yesterday hey be on the lookout for this they are releasing early today to try and get kids home safely before the worst of the severe weather makes its way into Mississippi. So I'm not trying to make like that a PSA for the Oxford School District, although if your kids are in the Oxford School District, they're coming home early today. You, you need to know that. But there are other school districts that may yeah. very well be doing the same thing. So just There's be sure that uh, you, you kind of stay plugged in and, and you don't go off the uh, off the reservation too far today. Yeah, there's a lot of them closing early or letting out early. Or there was one that I think didn't even go to school today because of the threat of bad weather. And like uh, meteorologists just said, uh, Mr. Parker, uh, you know, you don't think about it in November, December. Yeah, you think it's a sp- tornadoes or a springtime event, but history shows that we have a lot of them around this time. Um, good first hour of the show today, but. Good grief, are we about to sprint through the next two hours? Let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, Michael Watson, the Secretary of State here in Mississippi, is going to join us to begin the 11 o'clock hour. We've got runoff elections that are happening today. Uh, We'll ask Michael if the weather has any effect on those beyond voter turnout, and then we'll talk um, uh, just about election integrity, bigger picture. So uh, we'll get into that with him. Uh, Senator Nicole Aikens-Boyd will join us later in the 11 o'clock hour. She represents District 9, which is Lafayette County and parts of Panola County. And we'll talk with her about some of the things that are uh, are coming up in the legislative cycle that will begin in January. January 2nd, by the way. And, and do you realize that that's now a month away? I do. I asked you a question yesterday. I was like, hey, is it too early to be talking about legislative agenda? And in my mind, we were still in October. I was like, you know, it's still kind of early. You're like, oh, no, no, that's absolutely the conversation. So it's like, okay, we're trending toward that. And I was just like, hold on a second. Today's the 29th of November. January 2nd is a month away and change. I mean, the le- is this the earliest the legislative session can legally start? I believe that it is. Yeah, I mean, because January, January 1st is a federal holiday, so yeah. yeah they will uh, hopefully hit the ground running. And then the Lieutenant Governor, Delbert Hoseman, will be with us uh, in studio in the uh, in the noon hour of the show. So we'll talk with him about some of those same things and uh, uh, take the, uh, the temperature of the political landscape in the state of Mississippi. 
Good to be with you. If you uh, want to join us, you can do so on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Do you know what the word of the year is? Have you seen this story? I have not. So Merriam-Webster, the big dictionary, uh, I guess there are others that are less famous. Yeah, what are the other ones? I don't know. It's kind of like Google's the search engine of record, and then there are others, but, you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, you know, dictionary.com or something. Marion Webster may own that as well. So the last two years we have had uh, uh, very topical words that have been the word of the year. In 2019, or sorry, 2020, pandemic was the word of the year. Yeah. Uh, 2021, it was vaccine. 2022's word of the year inflation is gaslighting. Really? It was one of the most searched words every single day this year, according to Peter Sokolovsky, Merriam-Webster's editor-at-large. There wasn't any one news event that caused the increase in searches. It's just that people are hearing it more on TV and seeing it more in newspapers and on social media, and then it sends them to the dictionary. The definition of gaslighting has evolved over the years, but Merriam-Webster says psychological manipulation of a person usually over an extended period of time that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality or memories, and typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence, and self-esteem. Like being in the Senate for 180 years. (laughs) And the Vice President for a decade. Or something like that. So now you know. It's a fancy way of saying lying. Gaslighting, your 2022 word of the year. Secretary of State Michael Watson joins us next. It's middays on... Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply. To think deeply. And look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert on this Tuesday, the 29th of November. Thanks for being with us in the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Yes, I am. I'm planning on it right now, but I don't think I get to do that any good uh, anytime soon. Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601 957 6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and uh, and guarantees. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. It is time for us to visit with the Secretary of State for the great state of Mississippi, Michael Watson. He joins us uh, this morning. Mr. Secretary, thanks for a few minutes of your time today. Man, you're quite welcome. Always good to talk to you, Richard. Uh, so... Our preference would be for blue skies and sunshine on an election day, and I feel like in a lot of ways this election day is flying a little bit under the radar. It is a runoff day. What can you tell us about turnout today and how the weather is affecting that? It's clearly concerned, Richard, uh, and there's runoff races with uh, judicial candidates. There's some school board candidates. I think there's a sheriff runoff as well. And look, anytime you've got bad weather, uh, clearly we want Mississippians to be safe. So it's a, it's a tough balance there. We want everybody to get out and vote. And that's an important piece, too. Uh, so it's, it's a tough one here today, but I hope everyone takes a chance to get out before the weather gets too bad to get their voices heard 
Uh, too many people, again, died for that right, Richard. we got to make sure we get out there and vote and honor them. Um, Michael, our, our election laws, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., those are the hours that uh, polling places are open. Will that be affected at all by potential severe weather really kind of all across the state of Mississippi? No, that's uh, clearly in statute. Um, you know, we, we've, we've got, uh, I, I would assume the governor would have some type of emergency powers, but I doubt it would impact an election, uh, especially with it being statute from 7 to 7. So I just encourage folks, again, to be mindful of that. Uh, before the weather gets bad, get out and vote. Uh, make your plans as quickly as you can. Uh, again, it's, it's a tough day. It's a tough balance. But to be safe is, is of utmost importance, but also we want to make sure folks have their voices heard. You know, this is an interesting election cycle, right? There were, as we watched the returns a couple of weeks ago, so many races across the country that were affecting the the balance of power in the Senate and the House and really important gubernatorial races in in a lot of places. And yet this was an off-year cycle for us. How was turnout? Because you, you mentioned a second ago, a ton of judicial races, a ton of local races all across the state of Mississippi, but not as much on the, the statewide front. Yeah, that's right. And, and just to kind of little emphasis on that piece there, I just want folks to remember how important those local races are. Uh, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, that's where you're impacted the quickest at the local level. So I just encourage folks not to lose sight of, hey, we're focused on this federal election. That's that's the now, again, these local elections have a really big impact on your lives and, and it's quicker, much more quickly than the, the federal level. Uh, to your point there about turnout, we saw about 11, a little more 11 percent in the uh, primary, which was dismal. Uh, we, we got that up to about right at 37 percent, roughly, uh, in the general election. Uh, and again, we we'll probably see that number plummet today in the runoff. Uh, it just doesn't seem a whole lot of um, excitement out there, which is unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, when you compare those numbers to other states, Richard, remember, you know, other states had gubernatorial races, uh, so there was a, a much more emphasis placed on those races. We just had our congressional races and, and these local races, and again, people just don't tend to uh, get as excited about that, unfortunately. Uh, again, those are the races that really matter and are going to shape the, the future of our state and our country, so uh, hopefully folks are, will get out today and make sure that they, again, get to the polls before it gets too bad around here. Visiting with Michael Watson, he's the Secretary of State of Mississippi. Lots of uh, responsibilities fall in the Secretary of State's office, but I don't know that any are more public than kind of overseeing the elections. So with that, maybe a bigger picture question, Michael, than just here in the state of Mississippi. Um, yeah, really good question. Yeah. The, uh, and and we'll, we'll, we'll cover really quickly just an elevator speech of kind of what the office does, Richard, and I'll let you kind of take that apart. Uh, but elections is the face of the office. Uh, it's kind of three main components of the, of the office itself. So we've got elections, business services, and then we've got public lands. So that's kind of just a quick overview of the things that we have. We're the state land commissioner, 16th section lands, titlands, uh, tax forfeited properties. So that's kind of the lands issues. Under business services, you've got LLCs, corporations, nonprofits, scrap metal dealers, perpetual care cemeteries, uh, athlete agents, I could keep going, but you get the picture there. <laughs> yeah, we get the picture on that. <laughs> yeah, big, big piece there. And then again, back to the elections. And the key piece about elections that Mississippians need to know is Mississippi is what's known as a bottom-up state. Uh, so the real hard work happens at the circuit clerk and the elections commissioner's level there at the local level. Uh, and, and we you know, train those folks. Uh, we help them navigate the law and understand what the law says. Uh, and also we hold SIMS, which is the statewide election management system. So um, big, big office. Uh, it impacts a lot of folks, whether you know it or not, probably impacts you every day uh, in some sort of fashion. So yeah. important 
And, and you know, where I really wanted to go with that is, you know, I feel like fair elections are kind of a a, a foundation piece, a, a bedrock of our democracy. You, you used the phrase a second ago, so many men and women have died for us to have the right to be able to vote in free and fair elections. So the question is, and I don't know if there's a way to ask this or answer it without being political in nature, how have we gotten to the point where elections have been weaponized? And 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 I honestly I think it's by both sides. I think the right has done that, and I think the left certainly has done that. How have we gotten to this point where we have lost the focus on we want elections to be free and we want them to be fair and we want them to be open to as many people as legally as possible, and then just stop and let the voice of the people be heard? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Richard, and one that may take us uh, about an hour to dig through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you what we have seen uh, over the past you know, 10, 15 years, the toxicity in politics, uh, you know, right versus left. Uh, you know, I, I can't be your friend if you don't believe like I believe. Uh, it, it's really unfortunate how our country has gotten to this point. Unfortunately, that has boiled over into elections. Uh, so a lot of folks would argue, well, look, you know, you can't get your policies passed. Nobody supports those policies. So now you're just going to go to where you can try to rig or change the outcome of an election. So you can't get your policy passed. Uh, so I think it, it boiled up from just the, the, the division in this country, uh, the animosity between the two parties. That's not a good thing. And at the end of the day, Richard, what we've, what we've always said, what I've always said is Mississippians, we all want the same thing. We want what's best for our families, what's best for our communities. And we may see a different way to get there, but that doesn't mean we have to hate each other. Uh, let, let's work together. Let's, let's try to mend our fences and, and uh, you know, come together as, as one, as a, as a common goal of what's best for our state and how do we get there without hating each other. Uh, so that's that's the hard part, but I think that's where the elections piece came from. The policy uh, you know, differences and the animosity that grew out of that spilled over into elections. Michael, I've known you for a long time, and I think I know you well enough to know that you have a firm belief in states' rights and the idea that states can do the job better for themselves than the federal government can do. I I think in a lot of ways it feels like giving the federal government any more power. uh, Most people, well, not most people, a lot of people are really against that idea. Why is it better for states to run elections than it is for the federal government to run elections? Well, just like anything else, Richard, you know, what works in Mississippi may not work in Alaska. You know, what works in Maine might not work in Arizona. Uh, and that's how the, the founding fathers framed our country. Uh, and if you look at this idea of, of the pyramid, uh, how they kind of put it together, that base level was the individual. At the very top level was the federal government, which was very small. Unfortunately, what we have seen is that that pyramid has been inverted, where the, the base level, the, the, the strongest, biggest piece of the pyramid is now the top where the federal government is. And the little point of the pyramid at the bottom now is where the individual is. That's not how it's supposed to work. Uh, the, the founding fathers knew that the states should make those decisions and things that aren't spoken to and that the Constitution specifically are reserved by the states. And so elections is one that was actually specifically spoken to. Uh, the states have the abilities to craft their laws and work for them. Uh, you know, one of the things that we try to do is make sure it's as easy as possible to vote, but hard to cheat. Uh, we want to make sure the integrity of the process is upheld. And I would point you to this, uh, Richard, a couple of folks, uh, not a couple of folks, a lot of folks talk about, uh, you know, it's just so hard to vote in Mississippi. I remind them of the facts. You look at 2020 uh, with uh, the presidential election. We had COVID. We had all these things in our face, yet record 
turnout in Mississippi. Uh, we've helped register over 200,000 new voters since 2020. Uh, so you talk about the outreach that we've done to build uh, confidence in our process, confidence in our system. Uh, last year, the legislature did a great job of, of doing some election integrity pieces uh, that's going to continue to maintain the confidence in our process. But you're absolutely right. Uh, the state's rights is a, is a big piece there, making sure that those decisions that impact the local levels are, are held at the most local uh, election points. So an important piece there, and, and you're, you're dead on. I'm actually a huge supporter of that idea. You got time to hang for another segment? Absolutely. Michael Watson, Secretary of State here in the state of Mississippi, visiting with us on middays. We're going to take a timeout. We've got more coming up with him. A um, little bit of a change, by the way, today. If you were planning to attend the Connerly Trophy presentation tonight in Jackson, that has been changed. Because of the inclement weather that's coming through the state of Mississippi, that is going to now be a virtual event. We'll have, hopefully, more details on exactly how you can view that uh, as the day goes along. Sports Talk Mississippi was going to be there live tonight. That is now not going to happen. Uh, we'll have a whole lot more for you on that. This is Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. More with the Secretary of State, Michael Watson, when we come back. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Middays. Thanks for being with us in the Element Wealth Studios. Michael Watson is our guest, Secretary of State in the state of Mississippi. We're talking about the fact that today is an election day. And, Michael, let's start by going back to that before we go back to kind of some bigger picture topics. And uh, and just from your perspective, the importance of these elections, it's, it's runoffs, it's largely local. And I thought the point that you made earlier about these are the elections that matter locally far more than than maybe a presidential election does. Well, look, when you think about it, Richard, you know, school board, we, we, we've seen the eruption over the past year or so uh, about, you know, issues in the schools. Mm-hmm. Parents wanting to have a say in the education of their children. Uh, this is the perfect example uh, and perfect time for parents to get involved. Uh, make sure that you choose the individual that believes, you know, uh, like you do or, or believes good things for our children are going to be the ones that are elected to the school board positions. So it, it's that that race right there uh, possibly is more important than some other races that are going to be on the ballot because those are our children. Uh, those are your children. Those are our students. I've got to make sure they got a great education moving forward. It's one of the most important things for the future of Mississippi. So that's that's an incredibly important election. And to think about turnout may not be so high. Uh, you know, you may have a very small individual uh, percentage of people that elect a school board member. They're going to have a say over the education of your children. So, again, uh, you, you can't overemphasize enough the importance of those local level races. So I was thinking about what you said a second ago uh, as it pertains to the Constitution uh, allowing states to run the elections. And, and you said that there was great foresight there from the forefathers in that they realized that, you know, what works in one place doesn't necessarily work in another place. And yet, I mean, I guess number of people, population is maybe the biggest driver in why it's different and rural versus urban. But at the same time, how is it that in Mississippi – we can be so incredibly effective and efficient 
on Election Day. And other than in some rare instances, by the time we go to bed on an Election Day, we, we know the results. And yet, it takes weeks in Arizona. Uh, you know, it, it takes weeks in... Uh, you know, pick your your state, Pennsylvania or Ohio or whatever. Florida can be incredibly efficient. They got a bunch of people that live there. Texas can be incredibly incredibly efficient. A lot of people live there. Is it choice? What what's the difference, state to state? Well, so yeah, there is choice, and you, you take a state like let's uh, let's pick Oregon for instance. Uh, basically, they're all vote by mail. Uh, as opposed to other states, they have early voting for certain windows: forty five days, thirty days, fifteen days, twenty days. Uh, they do have some vote by mail. They do have uh, election day uh, no voting. Florida, for example, uh, roughly 60%, I believe, of their votes were cast prior to election day. Uh, so different states have different options. Uh, the key piece there is, again, the integrity of the process. Uh, so we, we're looking at a few things here in Mississippi, and, and not to get into the next legislative session, but last year we looked at the idea of a post-election audit, uh, making sure that, again, the numbers that came out on election night were the right numbers, the correct numbers. One of the things that the legislature did last year uh, was give uh, roughly $5,000 per precinct per county uh, to make sure that we get new machines. And these machines have a paper verifiable trail, Richard. And it's very important uh, when people talk about these machines, machines, machines. Well, at the end of the day, what it goes back to and what will win the day is you take that paper ballot and you see how it was marked. And if there's a question between the machine and the paper ballot, paper ballot's always going to win. Uh, so I think our legislature's taking a good step in making sure that, again, the process uh, is, is, is one that's upheld, one that people can believe in. Uh, lots of questions were asked in 2020. Uh, so I love to come back and drill it back home to Mississippi. What do we do in Mississippi? And, and to walk through that process, and I think it's been really important when I go to Rotary Clubs, when I go to Kiwanis Clubs, wherever, to, to explain the process. Here's how it works in Mississippi uh, to make sure Mississippians are educated on how their vote is counted. Uh, and I think that's a really important piece. Do you believe, and I know you've got colleagues in, in states all across the country, that there are secretaries of state or election officials who don't want it to be a smooth process? They want it to be complicated and convoluted? You know, I don't know that I'd call out a single secretary of state. Uh, I believe at the end of the day, we all want good, clean, fair, safe elections. Now, uh, again, as we talked about earlier, when we saw this, this bubbling up and this toxicity in politics start to spill over into elections, unfortunately, some people may think, hey, look, this is a way that I could tilt the scales. I hope that's not the case. Uh, and, and I hope that, that all of us want uh, what's fair and what's right. Again, uh, no, no matter what party is in charge, uh, elections should be fair. Yeah. They should be believed in. Uh, it's, it's a cornerstone of our democracy, a cornerstone of our country, uh, to be able to choose our leaders and to be able to trust that the, the correct you know outcome is what the one that was cast. So uh, it's a very important piece. And, and Richard, there's, in my mind, there's no thing more important than election integrity. Uh, you know, if you've got, as we've talked about here, if you've got a policy position that you disagree with, you know, how in the world could you maybe change that? Well, maybe I could tilt the skills and change the outcome of an election so then the individual who could implement that policy could get elected. So at the end of the day, there is nothing more important than election integrity, and that's one thing that we've really been focused on. Yeah, Michael, we are several election cycles through voter ID in Mississippi, and you know there there were those that were were screaming and crying out about how this was uh, you know tamping down votes and it was creating impediments. How much issue has there been? It, it feels like, at least where I vote, um, and you know, I have voted in different precincts within Lafayette County over the last, I don't know, 
eight, ten years, it's worked very, very well. And I don't see it as an impediment to being able to vote for many people, if any. So so how has oh. that gone, and why is there still pushback in some areas? It, it, incredibly well, and for the life of me, I, I, outside of, you know, <laughs> some nefarious reason, I can't understand anybody being against voter ID. Uh, and let's let's walk back through the process, Richard. Uh, for those who, who aren't aware of the history of voter ID in Mississippi, when we passed that legislation and it was implemented, if you did not have an ID, not only would we give you a free ID, we would give you a ride to the courthouse to get an ID. Uh, Mississippi bent over backwards to make sure that no one was left behind when it came to voter ID. If you wanted an ID to go vote, we would make sure that you had one. I think we've printed roughly 10,000 or so IDs. And think about this, not just for elections. But now this person has a valid uh, government-issued ID that they can use for other purposes. So it's been helpful not only in elections but other ways, too. But, again, back to the point. If you want an ID, we will make sure that you have an ID to go vote. And so there's no roadblock whatsoever in my mind uh, for folks that shouldn't you know, be supportive of the idea of voter ID. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, and here we are that uh, there are people that still push back about that. Um Give you one last chance to uh, to make a plea for people, even with a uh, a day of bad weather, to uh, try to figure out a way and get out to vote, and probably the sooner the better, especially in central and and the western half of the state of Mississippi. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I'm going to head on the swivel today for all of our Mississippians, and I pray that the Lord will keep us safe. Uh, as you watch the weather and you see maybe a window of time that you can go vote. Please get out there and vote. Again, these are elections that are going to impact your life uh, for the for the next several years, uh, next four years, and some instances, uh, depending on if it's a judicial or, or school board race or sheriff race. Uh, you know, these are things that are really important that are going to impact your not just your life, but your community as well. So please get out and vote. Uh, take the time to go out there and honor the men and women that died and, and fought for that right. Free and fair elections in Mississippi. That's what we are striving for and results that we will all accept. Thank you, Secretary Watson, for your time this morning. Always a pleasure. Have a great day, buddy. Michael Watson, Secretary of State here in the state of Mississippi, talking about uh, this election day. And, Will, I I mean, it's how we started, right? You, You want election days to be sunny and blue skies and maybe a light breeze, not too hot, not too cold, but it just doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work out that way. And today is one of those days. I mean, did they ever call? Maybe this is something, or maybe you asked him and I missed it, but did they ever call a a vote off because of bad weather? No, because of statute in the state of Mississippi. 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and the, the days on the calendar are set. You just deal with it. So a baseball game will get called, but voting, you're going to vote. Yeah, and I mean, there are people that might debate as to which one is a bigger deal, uh, but uh, no, they are are not doing that. Uh, Tim and McGee, those same people have problems with voter ID, will pull out uh, an ID for other things. Yeah, the voter ID in Mississippi... It's just gone so well. It it really has, and it's stood up to a lot of the lawsuits, um, where some other states had some issues with that, where Mississippi's... Because they, they, like he said, they've been over backwards. They would give rides and all this kind of stuff, and then help you get an ID if you didn't have one. Yeah, it was it was, has been a good program that has worked exceptionally well. And you kind of need an ID, right? I mean, maybe you don't fly, but maybe you need to open a bank account somewhere. A bank wants an ID. Um, I, I bought a new phone case the other day, and I had to go pick it up at the store. And they literally asked for my ID before they would hand it to me. Yeah. So you check into a hotel, you got to have an ID. Yeah. It's uh, it comes in handy. 
Uh, Justin in Tupelo said, hey, you almost said sports talk going to that last break, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. And yet I didn't. I caught myself. He's a professional, people. And then just like in the afternoons, I talked right into the break. Maybe not that professional. More coming up. Senator Nicole Aikens-Boyd from District 9 in North Mississippi will join us up next on Middays. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks, as always, for joining in. You can be part of the conversation on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Richard Cross in for Gerard on this Tuesday, which is, again, an election day in the state of Mississippi. We are joined right now in the Element Wealth Studios by Senator Nicole Aikens-Boyd. She represents District 9. That is Lafayette County and Panola County, or at least part of Panola County, in uh, in North Mississippi. Senator, good morning. Uh, at least for a little while longer. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Great, uh, as always, to catch up with you. Before we get into some things, I want to do something, and I hope you're not going to be mad at me for this. Um, you lost your father not too terribly long ago. I did. I did. There are a lot of people who have served Mississippi, but I'm not sure that many people have done more than he did. As an educator, as a coach, later as a representative to the legislature in Mississippi, tell us a little bit more about him, because I know he knows people all over the state of Mississippi uh, from all of those years of service. Uh, What what do people maybe not know about your dad, Noel Aikens? Well, you know, I think we wrote it kind of in the obituary. My husband and I kind of wrote it is my dad believed in team. Um, you know, the, the coach, the consummate coach believed that everyone could, um, do a lot better and they could work a lot harder if they had a team that supported it. And, um, I know that, um, it was something kind of that was throughout his life. He was one of 10 children and, um, wow. he was somebody who believed passionately um, as a child, he grew up very poor. Um, education was kind of his key to um, making a better life for himself and a better life for his family. Um, he went into coaching, he, and it was so neat. Um, after my father passed away, I heard from people all over the country that my dad had coached, and he had been an educator too, and kind of the difference that they um, he played and the role that he played in kind of helping them along the way. And it was stories and people I'd never talked to ever before. So there were so many blessings in that. And, um, you know, he took that kind of attitude um, to the legislature. He had retired and um, was concerned really about the direction of the state and kind of took that attitude. And they uh, they all called him coach down there. And they said, um, <laughs> you know, because he was always one of the first to, he was Republican, but he was the first person to try to reach across the aisle and um, talk to his Democratic colleagues because he really believed that, 
um, we have to work together, that we're a state with limited resources and that we are going to do our best when we try to reach across the aisle and see where there's common ground that we can help each other out. And so, um, you know, I will tell you, Washington politics really bothered him. Um, what he was seeing recently because of that inability to reach across the aisle sometime. And so he loved the state and loved the politics and of it because he felt like at the state level, we could really work to make things better and make things happen a little more because we were willing to talk to our colleagues that um, maybe had a different letter behind their name. So, so you, um, but yeah. No, I was just going to say, you, you have been involved in politics, especially at the local level, long before uh, being elected senator. So that piece of it wasn't new. But when you said to him, hey, Daddy, I, I'm going to run for, for Senate to represent Lafayette County and, and part of Panola County, did he tell you you were crazy, or was he fully on board and supportive? No, he actually was really, really supportive. Um, it was something um, that, um, you know, he knew um, that it was kind of the right time for my family for us to take and do that, and he was completely supportive. Um, he loved the state, and he believed that we have so much potential in this state, and that by continuing to work together that, and there are great things going on in the state right now. That's what people, I, I meet so many people and they'll say, oh, politics is bad, this horrible stuff. And I'm like, have you looked what's going on in your home state? Hmm. Um, we've had good conservative leadership. Financially, we're in a great space um, as far as how we're moving things forward. And we're doing so many things that we've never been able to do in the state because we've had that good leadership, and we've got people um, working together to try to really make these things happen. So, um, you know, I, I hear people all the time talk about, oh, politics. Look, t- you can look at Washington, and that's one thing, but look at your home state. Your home state has moved up in education. We're 35th now in education, um, which is amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, we're continuing to do these things. It's really building a really great, productive state. And that's what I want people to focus on is um, don't look at the Washington negativity. Look what's going on in your home state because you can continue to work and you can work in this really thing. We're really making a difference here. I know the listeners to this show are, are, are kind of locked in on what's happening in, in state politics, or, or at least some of them are. But there are a lot of people that maybe don't understand that the majority of the work during the legislative session happens in committee rooms, right? I mean, that's where bills really get hammered Absolutely. out and they get to a point where they can be brought to a floor and debated and then maybe maybe passed. So you are the chair of the uh, Senate study group on women, children, and families. I know that you have been, uh, because again, I know you, I'm not trying to hide that, that you have been an advocate, uh, especially for children in our state for uh, for a really long time, for, for your family and for others. Tell me specifically about this group. What, what's what's going on behind the scenes? What are you working on? So this committee um, was convened. Um, really, we had started working. We kind of, I mean, we had watched the Supreme Court arguments, and we knew the Dobbs case was kind of headed in a direction. But we had been working on women and children's and family issues um, before. For the last couple of years in the Senate. But when the Dobbs case came down, it became even more important that we have a committee that was really looking at women, children, and families. 
And so it's a study committee. It's made up of members of other different committees that are in the legislature. And we have been working um, since June really to um, really kind of look at this comprehensively. What does it mean to have a child in the state? Um, what's the health care options for these women once they have a child in the state? How do we do a better job of this? Because quite frankly, we have the highest maternal mortality rate in the country. We have the highest infant mortality rate in the country. And how do we change those metrics? Because we know that we can change those metrics. And so we've been looking at that. Senator Blackwell actually will be having hearings on this within his committee on Thursday morning that people can tune into. They'll start at 8.30 Thursday morning. He'll be having hearings on this. We looked at, um, we also looked at just the healthcare in general for these individuals. We looked at early intervention services, what we're doing right, what we're not doing very well. And so we're looking at ways to change that. We also really have focused in on, um, adoption and foster care. Um, we've got some pieces of legislation we're going to be putting forth on that. We're going to be looking at all these wonderful uh, um, foster families that we have and we've been taking a lot of time over the last um, over these last few months really talking to those foster families. We're going to kind of have um, we've been working with the Attorney General's office as well and we'll probably be proposing a foster um, care bill of rights so that those families have some surety when they take care of those children. We've also looked at child support. How do we strengthen making sure that um, we get better child support enforcement in the state? And then also really looking at child care in general. We know it's difficult. You know this is difficult. Um, finding um, good child care is a challenge for every Mississippi mother um, that's out there working. And we know that our mothers in Mississippi are out working. Um, our general workforce participation rate in the state is around 55%. And we know that 75% of our single mothers are out there working. Yeah. So it's a high labor force participation rate and they need childcare. And so when you talk to um, all of our industry in Lafayette and Panola counties across the state, the first thing that they'll say, they'll say, what do you need help with? And they're saying, they'll say childcare, that it's a major workforce participation issue for them. And they are, they are all telling us that these women want to work. So we have been working, looking at all those particular issues and really trying to get um, in depth on those. So we'll have some recommendations and then we'll have some things that we're going to believe that need further study. And you know, it's crazy, right? I mean, real life example for what you're talking about. Today is a day where we've got severe weather moving through the state of Mississippi and you've got school districts all over the state that are saying we're dismissing early or canceled school today on very short notice. And you've got parents who have to work, who can't just drop it. And, and we've got to try and figure those things out. Have, uh, have you got time to hang with us for, for one more segment? Yeah. Okay. We're, yeah. We're gonna, uh, there, there's one more committee in, in particular that uh, Senator Aikens Boyd is involved with. That's the University and Colleges Committee. Uh, maybe in 30 seconds or left. Uh, so you said a study group. H how do you go from study to action when you're talking about committees? Well, so our study group um, met and we had, like, for example, on this particular one, we had four long days of hearings where we brought um, state agencies in, we brought the private sector in, um, we brought different nonprofits in. And so we really tried to better out what are the issues. And then now we're working on legislation All in right. regards to that. 
So we'll keep an eye out for that legislation. Yes. We're going to continue with Senator Nicole Aikens Boyd on the other side of this break as we wrap up the 11 o'clock hour of middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. With Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Super Talk Mississippi, middays. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert. Thanks for being with us in the Element Wealth Studios. Continuing our conversation with Senator Nicole Aikens Boyd, we were talking about her uh, uh, chairmanship of the uh, Senate Study Group on Women, Children, and Families. She's also vice chair of the uh, Senate Universities and Colleges Committee, uh, which feels like, uh, at, at times, maybe a lightning rod, kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of passions surrounding colleges and universities in the state of Mississippi. Just, just FYI. Have no idea about that <laughs> at all. Not <laughs> well played. As she holds up, if you're listening and not watching, she held up her coffee cup with uh, uh, a national championship logo. I'll let you guess which which one it was. If it was from this past year or from two years ago. Might be red and blue here. Might might be red and blue. Um, so Nicole, on the on the the universities and colleges work group, there is there's so many issues that are there. One of the issues is growth, right? Uh, the University of Mississippi is growing. Mississippi State is growing. In, in some ways, they're growing in different ways. Uh, when you talk about the two uh, schools, Ole Miss's growth largely has been fueled by out-of-state, though there's been a focus on in-state students as well. Uh, Mississippi State may be the inverse, but both schools are trying to figure out how to deal with growing enrollment numbers. And along with that goes with, okay, how do you house them and who teaches them and how do you feed them and all of those things. And all that takes money. It does take money. And one of the things that I've been really, really that has been that most people don't uh, actually get to know that I kind of wanted to share with the listeners is that these two universities really are strategically looking at what role they play in the economic development of the state. Okay. Um, and so they are very good about really coming to us with proposals that really advance um, the state the areas that they should be studying. And um, I, it has been, um, I have so enjoyed representing the University of Mississippi and Ole Miss in the legislature. It's within my district. And the chancellor has been very um, strategic 
um, and studied really what they want us to really go after and look at on the proposals. And there's some really exciting things that we've been able to um, kind of secure some funding for that I think will be coming down the path. Um, it really how we make this state a leader in various economic sectors. And so that um, is great, exciting leadership that we're so fortunate to have in this state. And um, I know um, Mississippi State does that as well. Um, I will tell you that in this Women and Children's and Families Committee, I, it, we partnered a great deal with both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Um, with Mississippi State, they have the Social Science Research Center, and then at Ole Miss, they have UMC, and they have, um, that we partnered with a lot in our medical issues, and then they have the Center for Population Studies as well. So um, it has been really exciting to kind of see these universities really step up to the plate and say, how do we, um, what are we doing for the true economic development of the state? How do we grow the, um, our individuals that are coming here. And I mean, the growth is substantial. We've seen like in our what we looked at at the University of Mississippi. And I think it is a reflection of the programs that they've had. There are areas that we know that we can grow. Um, and now what we've really got to do too as legislators is make sure that we have jobs for these individuals um, that we are educating here. And so that's really um, something that um, my counterpart in the House um, that represents Oxford Clay DeWeese and I really try to focus on is how do we make sure that these individuals are staying here in Mississippi and that we're giving them good job opportunities that encourages them to stay here in Mississippi. You know, that's, that's so exactly that's where I was going to grow. That's a challenge for all of us. That there's like yeah. this circle of life, right? I mean, you, you want your students, your, your exceptional high school students to stay in the state of Mississippi and, and go to Ole Miss go to Mississippi State, go to Southern Miss, go to Delta State, and then you want them to get great degrees, but then you would love for them to stay and become, you know, productive, active members, uh, citizens in Mississippi. But to be able to do that, you got to have jobs, and so the universities are developing these programs, and it's it's really a fascinating circle and uh, uh, not an easy road to navigate. Well, and that was one of the things, too. Like, we had our wonderful teacher um, candidates that were graduating from the University of Mississippi, but because our pay wasn't competitive in the state, yeah. um, we saw that those graduates were leaving the state. So that's why that pay raise that we did um, this year was very, very important for teachers because we know that that teacher pool is lessening. So that was one of the ways that we're constantly trying to combat and make sure that we keep these great graduates in the state. So, and these graduates that have gone elsewhere, we want to bring them back in. Yeah. To the state. It's all connected. It's not. Uh, yeah. It's not single issue it stuff. Is. Senator Nicole Aikens Boyd representing District Nine. That's Lafayette County and uh, parts of Panola County. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, and st- try to stay dry today. So yeah. I think yeah. we're getting good. a good bit of it up here. <laughs> Going to do the best we can. The entire state of Mississippi. Thank you. That's uh, Nicole Aikens Boyd, Senator for District Nine. The noon hour of middays on Super Talk Mississippi is coming up next. We'll be right back. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey. 
And we welcome you back to the noon hour, the lunchtime hour of middays. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert on this Tuesday afternoon. As we have said throughout the day, we encourage you to be weather aware today. Severe weather making its way into and through the state of Mississippi, but it is not doing with any uh, doing so with any urgency. I mean, it's just kind of sauntering through Mississippi as opposed to speeding through Mississippi. Uh, we're going to have severe thunderstorm warnings. There will be tornado watches and warnings, uh, potential for hail, flash flooding. All of the bad stuff is kind of rolled in. And uh, we talked earlier, it's not just a springtime thing. It's clearly happening here at the end of fall, early part of uh, winter. Uh, we are glad to be with you in the Element Wealth Studios. Richard Cross today in for Gerard Gibbert. Thank you for being with us, for making this part of your Tuesday. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call them at 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Do want to let you know about something that is coming up on Friday. Mississippi Farm Bureau is celebrating 100 years, and Super Talk Mississippi will be there. Join the Super Talk Mississippi team as we broadcast live from the Mississippi Trademark on Friday to celebrate 100 years of faith, family, and Farm Bureau. And with that, we welcome our next guest in, the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Mississippi, Delbert Hoseman, joins us right now. He's been in office since uh, the 2020 election. The Secretary of State, and uh, you've signed up for this. Has it been as much fun as you had hoped? Yeah, it's been great right now. I mean, we are uh, states in the best financial situation place it's ever been. I mean, ever since 1817. Um, we've had some phenomenal years, and um, I'm real proud of the legislature, House and the Senate, on the work that they've done to date. We, uh, it is just really unbelievable. We, we have had the largest uh, teacher pay raise. We've had the largest tax cut. We've uh, put in more than ever $2.1 billion in roads and bridges and um, all of those things. And we've given, we've shrunk the size of government um, by like 10%. Mm-hmm. And we've just had a lot of things that, have, that we've worked on. And lo and behold, we have about probably $1.6 billion in cash that is in our pockets to be able to spend on the things taxpayers think we ought to be spending them on. Lieutenant Governor, I've got a dear friend who says the most difficult word to say in the English language is no. <laughs> and Yeah, we're going to have to do that this well, year. So. Well, but you've had to say no some in the past, but that has put the state in position to be able to say yes to some of those things that you mentioned, yeah, like the yeah. teacher pay raise and the bridges and the overpasses and the infrastructure stuff that needed to happen so desperately. Right, and you're you're dead right about that. It's funny. People don't remember that. I'm glad you did. We started three years ago by cutting the budget of the state by 2%. And so, consequently, you cut budget and you have more revenue, you have this kind of excess. So you're right. We, this didn't happen by accident. We, uh, I was real proud of the legislature cutting the budget to start and then then being very um, very judicious with how we spend our money. And I'm, I'm just real pleased with them. And this year... I anticipate that we'll have um, um, a rebate paid to taxpayers. Uh, we're going to give them some of their money back, and uh, I think that's very appropriate. Uh, it's their money, and it ought to be given back to them. So I anticipate that's going to come this year. As as we've had money come in in excess of our budgeted amount, we ought to give it back to the taxpayers. Yeah, so so that's kind of where I wanted to go next. I mean, when you, when you look at excess, mm-hmm. when you look at money in the bank, that's a great issue to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose with some that there might be um, 
a tendency to want to go spend that money like a drunken sailor, whereas really you need to be cautious. So in terms of a rainy day fund, preparing for the Mm -hmm. future, uh, I I know that there's been legislation in the past that that requires that to be fully funded. So where are we in terms of preparing for the future, but then also the the balance of you say, okay, a tax rebate, but also – we now have the opportunity to invest in certain areas of the state of Mississippi. How do you go about deciding where that yeah. those investment dollars go? <laughs> well, that's uh, that's the good part. Again, we um, first on your on your first point, uh, we have funded the rainy day fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ten percent of our budget, so it's like six hundred and something million dollars, uh, and it uh, it's been funded the last two years. And we will fund it again this year, but we don't have to put very much in it because our budget's been pretty close to the same, a little bit increase every year, but uh, for inflation, less than inflation, actually. So we'll, and, we'll, and it'll, just be, for, it'll be $650 million we've got set aside in the rainy day fund. It's fully funded. And, and so for clarification, that's the amount that, that needs to be there, 10% of the budget. That's Not correct. that amount has to go in on an annual basis. That's correct, because okay. we, we've been saving it the last few years. So we've got, we'll have $650 or $700 million in the budget, plus this other $1.5 billion or so uh, additional cash. So we're, um, we, we will have the rainy day fund. And then you're you're right on point about you know how do you spend your money and and the first thing to do is to is to give taxpayers their money back for, for some of this obviously that wasn't we, we managed our money well and so we've got money so we ought to give it back to the people who paid it to us. Then the second thing is we haven't borrowed any money. Like last year, we didn't borrow any. We're not going to borrow any money this year. Mm-hmm. So we we're able to conduct the government without this this increase in rates, as you've seen, jumped to like seven percent or something. We're not borrowing any money, and so that the fact that we've got cash to run ourselves without borrowing money saves us a whole lot of debt. We've actually paid off three hundred million dollars, I think, in debt last year, and I think we pay off another three hundred this year in interest and and principal. So we're paying down the state debt. And not borrowing any money, that's really important in in your personal lives, as you know, when you get your credit card or your sure. home mortgage or something, you know how, how important it is not to have debt. Now, how much debt does the state of Mississippi have? We're running right now about $4.5 billion, okay. uh, which is uh, actually low for most states. To have a billion dollars and a half in cash and $4.5 billion in debt, we're in uh, excellent financial situation. Our bond rating and everything would be great if we were borrowing any money, but we're not. Yeah. So I, I think that's really important. And then the other part you said, Richard, is dead on. Uh, how do we spend that money? And I, I will tell you our, my, my, some of my priorities for this coming year, and I hope the Senate's as well. Uh, we we want to go back to our education again. We gave the largest teacher pay raise, but there are some other things that we need to do. The MAEP formula needs to be better funded. It wasn't hardly funded at all in prior years. But in addition to that, there is this wave coming of, of going to quarterly system schools. Now, the first one was in Corinth, and that's where I started probably about three years ago, mm-hmm. pushing on this. And this year, we want to encourage that. Uh, Lamar County uh Gulfport has gone to quarterly systems and basically the the kids are in school our children are in school nine weeks then off two or three weeks nine weeks on two or three weeks and they get christmas and whatnot sure and in a very short summer vacation so our kids are basically getting educated during the entire year now the reason that's so important uh right now we're educating kids like 180 days a year is the requirement right but really when you get testing and off days and everything i don't know that we ever really meet that so 
we we are actually educating our children half the time and expecting them to be in competition with China and Korea and Germany and all these other places. So we really want to give our kids the opportunity to have uh, education on a on a more regular full time basis. Now, what that means is that our our children now will have these periods in which they're in school in a in a structured environment, uh, getting fed and all the other things, and and going through an education environment during the two or three week period. That's called an intercession. And during that intercession, kids can catch up if they were behind, or they may want to take uh, some additional time. Uh, off, or they may want to take an additional course, an accelerated course of some sort. Mm-hmm. So it gives us a lot of flexibility for kids that maybe need a little help to get caught up. And what you'll see this year from the Senate and the House, I think, as well, I can't speak for the House, would be a financial incentive for all school districts in Mississippi, all 130-something of them, to go to a quarterly system. Now, right now, we probably have five or ten that are that are there, and we would like to see all of our all of our schools start that process where we can keep our kid in an educational safe environment, pretty much around the time, around the years. And the last thing I want to talk about this, and we'll, we'll go on. I know you have other topics, but the test scores here are very good. Uh, like in uh, Lamar County, they tested the same this year as they did for COVID. Everybody else went down like eight or ten percent in their mm. test scores, and but we, we we went down in Mississippi less than the national average. But we, they hardly went down at all in in where they were doing these quarterly systems. So it's it's educationally incentive, and then the the teachers are were about eighty two percent in favor of this, and the and the uh, parents were about eighty two or eighty five percent in favor of this. As they've as as they've experienced it for a year or two, so the people that are in the process are very encouraged about it. And of course, the thing that would that would hit you is how does this affect football season? <laughs> and it doesn't. And I will tell you, the football team still played, and everybody still came to the yeah. games. In fact, I think they had picked up because people hadn't seen each other in a while. So it turned out to be very very positive. You know, it's interesting. I live in Oxford, and Oxford has adopted kind of a hybrid version of this. They didn't jump That's into right. the deep That's end, right. but, but they kind of partially edging. They're went edging with that it. way. That's right. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. My bigger concern, honestly, is, is my kids and, you know, whether or not them having that longer summer break mm-hmm. is a negative or a positive in the long run. We'll continue with uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman after this, middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. I said one Mississippi, there's a magnolia tree. Two Mississippi, where a mockingbird sings out on his limb. Whistling that sweet soul for him. Welcome back, Middays. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert. We're glad to be with you on Super Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and on uh, supertalktv.com as well. If you want to be part of the conversation, if you've got a question for the Lieutenant Governor, we'll try to work that in over the next couple of segments. You can send it to us on the C Spire text line at 601 879 
1-800-795-9595. Tomorrow, Middays with Gerard Gibbert, and it actually will be Gerard, not me, and Good Things with Rebecca Turner will be live in downtown Cleveland, celebrating their beautiful display of 50 nights of lights where over a million lights transform Cleveland into a winter wonderland this holiday season. It's now through January 1st. You can view the lights by walking down the trail or by driving. It's free. That downtown Cleveland area is just They've spectacular. Done a great, they've done a great oh, job. Oh, what a wonderful job. The mayor job. up there and the, and the whole uh, community is really involved in that. And it's all tied in, of course, to Delta State University. And yeah. um, But, no, the downtown, how they've arranged it, and they've got a nice new hotel down there mm-hmm. and lots of shops for people to go spend money on it's just really nice they've done a good job a lot of good stuff uh we could spend a long time on the schools conversation mm-hmm. but i don't want us to to be too narrowly focused because there's right. so much that's on the horizon i will ask you uh you this question this is from uh from terry he says i'm wondering how in the world that the state can't find the money in this huge surplus to finish highway 25 in north mississippi so <laughs> it's all infrastructure, my <laughs> here we go you know, it was just uh, on a tear about me, and I don't mind telling you the rest of this story, and we'll get get to the number. But um, I, I too had that frustration, and Highway Forty Nine uh, from Florence was like two hundred and fifty million dollars was way over budget, uh, took forever, four or five years. So everybody that came into Jackson from South, from Simpson County, or wherever, is complaining. And uh, he's he's right about that. So we started a really aggressive. I went I went over to MDOT and I met with them and met with the people in their offices and their planning people. And why is this taking so long? And how we can we do that? So this last year, uh, he'll be pleased to know we we did contracts for nine hundred and sixty three million dollars from MDOT. We put up a little over two point one billion dollars into roads and bridges in Mississippi. And um, 25, 15, 7 south of Oxford, Richard, where y'all, where y'all are. I'm are, quite familiar with that. Yeah, all of those. And then in Hernando, um, the, uh, from Hernando up to uh, the Church Road area up there to, to increase those. All of those are on the horizon, as well as some in South Mississippi and, and uh, on in Port Gibson and West Mississippi, uh, the bypass and whatnot. The MDOT has narrowed down the uh, the actual ones and I call them the front page the ones that are on you know are up for uh, for actual completion we have two functions in that and I'll cover them real quickly one is a design phase and we appropriated an additional 35 million dollars to give M dot uh, advance money to do the design phase and then we appointed another 35 million dollars 40 million dollars to put it uh, to do the maintenance for 2024. So we've we have paid for the maintenance for this year and next year on Mississippi roads in advance, uh, so that Emrah could get started on his his point that he's raising right there. So I'm real pleased with with where we are. We're going to push through the ones that um, that are listed on what I call the front page. And the thing that I was particularly proud of, the legislature didn't change any of MDOT's recommendations. You know, they have a list that they prepare by by fatalities, by traffic count, uh, by age. They have a lot of different criteria that they go through to determine where they're going to build these new extensions and whatnot. And and they go through that process, and we have trusted them to do that. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, we gave $100 million to counties to fix roads and bridges uh, in the counties. Uh, they applied for $300 million 
uh, of that hundred million. We allocated the hundred million. I hope to have another hundred million for counties, roads, and bridges for my supervisors to go fix this next year, and then one more after that, and we'll have our county roads and bridges, you know, very very near the uh, requested amount. And in addition to that, on the last part of this, it's all about money, I guess, but we saved $350 million of the American Rescue Plan money. We didn't spend all our money. Mm-hmm. We matched the cities and the, can- the counties for doing water and sewer. They put up $450 million and we put up $450 million. So there's $900 million of water and sewer and, and storm- stormwater work that will be done in Mississippi. And then we saved the other $350 million to see where we needed to spend it this next year. So we, there is huge infrastructure projects. You're going to see a lot of barrels and backhoes out there, and it's about time. So I'm I'm pleased at the process. We're we're not we're not near about there. It takes too dadgum long. Yeah, Richard, to get and, anything done. And, and I don't know that there's any. Uh, we, we can go a mile wide or a little bit deeper. But a, a question that I have: you, you talked about the allocation to the to the counties, yeah. uh, to the supervisors, yeah. uh, hundred million over the course of three years for three hundred million requested. How do you avoid getting to a spot where a decade from now they need another three hundred million or another five hundred million? Is there a plan in place to maybe have, after this initial three hundred million dollar request is fulfilled, maybe there's thirty to fifty, fifty to a hundred million that stays in a reserve to be able to uh, handle those requests on an ongoing basis, as opposed to we get so far behind and then we have to play catch up. Yeah, and I, um, that's a really good point. Our uh, most of that work is being done on bridges, and we had a lot of okay. bridges that were out and whatnot. So we're hopeful that bridges, the bridges that we rebuild, will end up lasting forty years or. I said they're years good for a while. For a while, so we don't have to come back. And so the um, we have a division of MDOT there that uh, that r- does the uh, ERBR Emergency Road and Bridge Program, in in conjunction with uh, an advisory group. And so those monies are hopefully will go into a longer term where we don't have to be catching up. Some counties were better, quite frankly, about keeping their bridges up than others. Mm-hmm. And we've got a list, and you, you can see them, the ones that, that didn't spend as much money as they should have on keeping their roads and bridges up for whatever reason. So I, I think I'm very hopeful that, that this, this scenario will give us a long-term solution without us having to p- pony up after that we will uh, we'll talk about a few more of the projects that are on the horizon that are sure. kind of on your agenda for the uh the legislative session i, I said to will when we began earlier today that I, I asked him yesterday i was like is it is it time to talk legislative agenda and he said oh yeah and i think i was still convinced that it was october that we were but we're talking about a month and a week until the oh, yeah. uh until we the are, new session we, begins we, january we, 2nd we've we already we've already done our legislative agenda for next I've got the first drafts and stuff already ready to go. There is um, the need for the Senate and the House to uh, to work together. Obviously, mm-hmm. there will be differences of opinion from time to time. Uh, with the news that there will be a, a new Speaker of the House, mm-hmm. how do you anticipate that relationship working out? Yeah, we got a whole year to go, Philip Gunn and I do. And, um, you know, for full disclosure, we've already met on next year's session on priorities that he had and I had. Uh, we'll have uh, other meetings long before we get here in January uh, to go over that. And we have leadership teams that come in. Uh, we meet every Tuesday um, during this next session and we'll probably meet before that coming in here. But it's usually um, the president pro tem and, and him and myself and, and maybe a senator or a representative that has yeah. a specific issue. But we try to get down and, and see what we can work out 
uh, as quickly as we can without uh, getting in controversy and how we can round edges to make sure things go smoothly. And I've enjoyed, really enjoyed my working relationship with Philip. And uh, but you guys don't always see eye to eye either, right? No, he went he went to Baylor. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> he was a quarterback at Baylor. What I mean, I'm not supposed to see eye to eye, you know? Whatever. Yes. No, he's he 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 has, and I, I would use this. I think we have um, a a um, a compass that's both both you know pointed conservative north and we uh we when we disagree it's disagreeing on conservative one way or another uh, about things that can go through but in, in general policy matters i don't know that we differ that much and then the third piece of it is trying to be in sync with the governor to, at least to some degree yeah we we really I, that relationship has been the governor and i've talked to him about that over the times but um he basically tries to stay out of the legislation and um i think by and large he's done that which is incredibly fascinating considering that he sat in your seat and i don't know if it's yeah. because he sat in your seat that he feels the need to stay out of it or make would make him want to yeah. meddle more i i don't know it's um it is hard because you'd, you'd, you'd want to question, like I would want to question how the Secretary of State did that. Why didn't you do this or that and the other? But you're really not the Secretary of State and you're really not the Lieutenant Governor anymore. And I have really respected the Governor uh, allowing us to, you know, scrape our knees on occasion and, and try to learn as best we could. Um, he vetoes some of the stuff, uh, but in the, in the scope of things, it's been very little, actually, um, uh, very little vetoes by the Governor. On occasion, uh, we'll discuss with him what's coming up or something, but uh, basically he's allowed us to be the Senate and the House to be the House and he to be the governor. Visiting with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman as we uh, get closer and closer to the start of another legislative session, the final year of this four-year window, uh, which always brings up a question. How much gets done in the fourth year of an election cycle versus folks being focused on getting reelected. We'll ask him that question coming up next, plus talk more about what is on the horizon here in the state of Mississippi. Middays in the Element Wealth studio. Richard Cross in for Gerard Gibbert. More coming up after this. organization on our website sos.ms.gov taking this extra step will not only protect you but will also ensure your donation goes to those who need it most from the secretary of state family to yours have a safe and merry christmas whether you're a rebel a bulldog a golden eagle or just a sports fan super talk mississippi has got a podcast for you for you Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Session. So this was kind of along the lines of a, a question that came in, and I mentioned before the break that I'd ask you, uh, an election year, uh, mm-hmm. on the right, 2023 is, um, Will anything get done in an election year? Because there are are some whose focus is on not doing anything to rock the boat to be sure that they are well-positioned for re-election. Hopefully that's not the majority. Um, 
How do you combat against that, or do you? Well, first of all, y'all need to buckle up. We're going to have a full session. Okay. I'm just telling you, we we have had, and the way you can see this building like you see anything else, we had hearings today on corrections. We had hearings last month on uh, on zero women and babies from zero to three years old. Right. There'll be significant legislation coming out on that. Uh, there are this American Rescue Plan money. There's like $350 million worth of that. We passed in the Senate postpartum care last year for women uh, that are working, uh, that make uh, more than the Medicaid amount. Uh, you'll see the Senate, I think, pass that again this year on the health care part. There are two other health care initiatives that are going on now that I, that I know of. The um, You know, you just start down this list. Uh, we have this legislature... Uh, for whatever reason, has taken on everything. Uh, they have not blanched at, 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 at taking on anything from taxes to education. And I, I think we'll continue to do that. The things that come up, obviously the spending is a critical part, but mm-hmm. the things that come up on adoption and children and all of those others, I think we'll we'll put them on the table and we'll tee it up. So, so along those lines, I mean, buzzword, buzzword mm-hmm. alert, Medicaid expansion. People mm-hmm. love to ask that question. Can those issues be handled on a case-by-case case is not the right word, but mm-hmm. can an individual issue be handled without necessarily lumping that into a Medicaid expansion conversation? Yeah, I think I think on at least three different parts. Um, um, the, the first, of course, there's something called a direct payment that we're working with uh, the actual um, Medicare and Medicaid commissioners in, in Mississippi about that would have significant monetary rewards for rural hospitals and regular hospitals. Postpartum uh, costs the state about $7 million. It produces about $30 million in coverage for women and babies. Um, we think that's really important, but I, you're, yes, I do think you can, you can, you know, separate different issues and bring them up, uh, without getting into the, to a giant one. A bigger issue, Richard, and one we probably need to spend an hour on one, one time if somebody gets bored. I don't have an hour. Yeah, I know, I don't, I don't either, and particularly on this topic, but our rural hospitals are struggling. Mm. Uh, Greenwood is, is, is really on the tipping edge, uh, and other rural hospitals around. Uh, are very, very close to not being able to do. And the reason is their their nursing salaries and their other expenses have gone up and their reimbursement rate has stayed virtually the same. So that under any economic model, the current model will not work for them to survive. So it's a, almost a bigger picture uh, to look at exactly how we're going to deliver health care to people and on, and, a, on an economic basis. And isn't that reimbursement schedule, like, there's not just one entity to blame, right? I mean, so Medicaid reimburses at a, a certain level, mm-hmm. private insurance reimburses mm-hmm. at, a, at a certain level, and all of those things are negotiated. The Medicaid is not. Medicaid reimbursements are set by the federal government. Okay, and so, so that piece is not, but and, the private and, yeah, insurance and is. And um, like in some of our hospitals, our rural hospitals, they may, they may be 80% Medicaid. So whatever their income is, is set by the federal government, period. And they may have 20% private pay of some sort or another. So they're, they got, they're, they're in a position now that they, they, the 
last 20 percent can't make up enough for the first 80 percent that that the government has decided to reimburse because they're not getting enough to cover the cost of services based on what the government right and and the government part is not sufficient because of the nursing salaries have increased the cost of everything has gone up Mm. so it's very difficult and i think when we look at this um i'm particularly attuned to making sure that we do something that's not just a band-aid here no unintended i guess on this topic but that we do something that shows for a long-term vision of what rural health care will be in mississippi and just pouring some money into it right now will be helpful to sustain it for a shorter period of time and for us to have a long-term solution you really have to get you really have to look at what our delivery of services are going to be to what scope and in, in what locations and I, I think you'll see a lot of that coming looking at the ceasefire text line there are lots of questions about highways people roads bridges that always and so it's like you know what about this one we're not going to go individually to that but I, I was fascinated by this question what's the biggest challenge facing mississippi that nobody's talking about that nobody is talking about and, and I know from your perspective, you hope that whatever the biggest challenge is that, that you were talking about, but maybe that is not getting the attention that it deserves. Inflation. We're fixing to have a recession. And uh, How significant? I think it's going to be really significant. We just lost 2,500 jobs in North Mississippi in one hour. They fired everybody. Uh, Hewlett-Packard. Talking about in the, the furniture yeah. industry. And, of course, that's one of the tentacles of what economic development is about. And that's the first times you see. You see people stop spending money on furniture. And Hewlett-Packard in the, in, you know, the big HP company just laid off 6,000 people. Uh, you're seeing staff reductions from Amazon to everywhere. They're not doing that because they anticipate having a good year. They're anticipating having a bad year. So they're planning ahead because most they of are. those companies, uh, not I say most, Many companies have been very, very successful over the boom of the last few that's years. That's right. That's correct. And now they're resi- even post COVID. They're resizing themselves, and that's going to lead us to having our, our re-unemployment rate clicked up a little bit last month. Our withholding uh, decreased last month for wages. You're seeing what 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 we really and I've been talking about, I guess, for a year or so, getting prepared for what will be a downturn in the economy. Now, what you call it or how you judge it, and I think President Biden has a different definition than the rest of us, but <laughs> however you do that, uh, we're going to have less people, uh, less jobs, less economics going through the system. So I think what, what we want to do is make sure that we as a state have sufficient money to continue to do the things that we need to do, roads, bridges, education, Healthcare, you know the things that we're that we want to provide to our security, highway patrol, and whatnot. Those are the things that we want to have sufficient funds to do. Though we don't have to be cutting the budget uh, back to cut cut services. So that's why this this money that we built up by running the place right uh, is so important to us to maintain over a period of years and not spend in one 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 well fell swoop. So that so that. $1.6 billion that you were talking about that's sitting on the side, you, you don't want to allocate that in a single legislative cycle. No, there's no, you shouldn't do that. You you would just, first of all, there's not enough uh, Can capacity. that money grow, by the way? That's a side question. I mean, are you allowed to invest that? Yes, it does. And yes, I have been on the top of that. Uh, you should anticipate that I've been um, encouraging uh, the powers that be that have control of that money to make sure that it's, that it's earning. And I, my last understanding was that we're somewhere close to 3%. Okay. Uh, but I've got to check back with them again but yeah as these as these but it was not all plugged into a crypto 
No, we didn't do that. We, the legislature years ago required it to be in CDs, treasury bills, that kind of thing. All of those have jumped yeah, up. Yeah, T-bills are up, sure. And they are, and we're, we're participating in that. And um, Who's in charge of that investment? The state treasurer and then uh, the uh, Department of Finance Administration, Liz Welch and her group. So there's a lot of oversight. Mm-hmm. Well, there is. There's a committee that does some of that. But, but yeah, I did check on that. I, I, was, I was making sure because when you start talking about making 3% on a billion dollars, well, that's a lot of money where I come from, which is South Warren County. So, yeah, yeah it's a, I'm, I was very concerned about that. And I, I Real money, as some people is, might that's say. real money. We can pay for a few more roads and stuff or another teacher salary or whatever. This final month before this session goes in, I, I know you make time for uh, for grandkids, for family, mm-hmm. for the holidays, but there's also a lot of work to be done. What, mm-hmm. what are you doing in this last 30, oh, Five or so days before right. the session begins. Well, we have uh, we'll have meetings with the with the house, uh, with the speaker and, and his leadership team. Our leadership team and the group will be in. We meet with our senators, every committee chair. We have thirty chairmen in our um, in in the Senate side. So every committee chair and I will meet about what their agenda is for the year, and we'll try to work through what's achievable or not achievable, or what do you think, those kinds of things. And that runs from um, health care to taxes to corrections to roads to universities, you, you pick it. So we'll be going through all of those before January the 3rd with, with our people getting our agenda together, and uh, it will be robust. Uh, again, uh, we want to concentrate on the things that people ask us to do, mm-hmm. and and not get off get off on the weeds somewhere. And we really need to be very careful with the money that you've entrusted us with. I want to have some of it given back to you, and the rest of it spent well. You said get off in the weeds. Was that was that significant? Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> That's one of the weeds I don't want to get into. We did that already. So I I'm will done leave with that. you with that, <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. Thank you so much for coming in and spending uh, most you. of the hour with us. It's good to see you. Delbert Hoseman, uh, Lieutenant Governor in the state of Mississippi. A lot going on here in the Magnolia State. We will wrap it up. Coming up next, middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Live from the Temple is an event at the Temple Theater in Meridian that will feature over 24 Mississippi musicians. Performing to help restore the legendary Temple Theater in Meridian. The show is Sunday, December 4th, starting at 2 p.m. You can get your tickets by going to thetempletheater.com. Thetempletheater.com. Hey, a reminder, if you are in the Jackson area, or other parts of the state for that matter, and we're planning on attending the Connerly Trophy presentation tonight at the Country Club of Jackson, stop your plans. The event has been changed from an in-person event 
to a virtual event. We will have the details of that this afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi. Jim Richmond from C Spire will join us at the end of the 4 o'clock hour. He'll talk a little bit more about that. Also, Humina uh, will join us at the end of the 5 o'clock hour. So uh, we will get into all of those things. We'll talk plenty of Connerly Trophy, the finalists, but because of severe weather that is predicted and is happening in the state of Mississippi, um, that event tonight, because of travel for uh, for guests of the event, for participants in the event, etc., uh, was going to be adversely affected, and so that has been switched from an in-person event to a virtual event. I hope I'm. I hate that we're back to virtual events, uh, but this is, seems like it's a one-time thing. I haven't yeah. heard the term virtual event in quite a while. It yeah, I'd, like. I'd rather leave that in the rearview mirror. But we did learn how to pull those things off uh, yeah. when necessary. And from a technology standpoint, you can uh, you can bet that Ceasefire will do that right. Uh, if you're feeling patriotic today, or you need a boost of patriotism, USA and Iran. Opening kick uh, in about five minutes. Fox, big Fox television, if you want to watch it. All the, hopefully all the political crap goes to the background, and it's just soccer. Do you like soccer? Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm not, like, anti-soccer guy. I, I really grew to kind of appreciate the support when I did for a few years did broadcast of Ole Miss women's soccer on the SEC Network, and um, I had to learn the game. And uh, Matt Mott, who is the women's soccer coach at Ole Miss, is a good friend of mine, and so I've, I've come to appreciate it. Uh, the athleticism and the skill is off the charts. Uh, but no, I do not wake up at 6 a.m. on Sundays to watch the EPL or whatever I just, it is. I it's, can't get into it. I've tried. My brother-in-law loves it. I've mm-hmm. got friends of mine that love it, but I just cannot get into it for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean the scores of the games that have happened today on the biggest stage are two to one and two nil, which is two to nothing. <laughs> so I mean it's not like you know. I mean I did a football game in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on on TV on Saturday. It was forty nine to forty six. It was nonstop action and it was awesome. A two nil game just doesn't seem like yeah, it's that little, much fun. A little compared. less action, not exactly nonstop, but yeah, you got that coming up this uh, this afternoon. Uh, in just a few minutes as well. Uh, hey, good to be with you today. This was fun. I appreciate you asking. Um, I'm sure Gerard uh, Gerard uh, is off making plans for the money that he's going to make when he wins the Mega Millions tonight. He's, um, he's not eligible to play, though. Oh, really? Because he does advertisements yeah. for Mississippi Lottery? But Well, because he's I think he's on the board. Oh. Yeah. Well, isn't that too bad? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, th- I think I may be wrong about that. I think I asked him that one time. Are you eligible to play? And I think he told me no. No, absolutely not. All right. Uh, so Gerard will be back tomorrow. They will be in uh, Cleveland for the Fifty Nights of Lights celebration. Yeah. Uh, Gerard will be, and then um, uh, Rebecca will be as well. And then Friday we've got the Mississippi Farm Bureau yep. 100 year anniversary deal that's been going on all basically all year. We've been kind of celebrating that. They're having a big concert. Uh, with Trace Atkins and some other folks. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, if you it, turned 100, would you celebrate the entire year? Oh, I don't think you would be able to because you wouldn't turn 101, would you, <laughs> if you partied all year? Well, I mean, I, you know. I had a friend of mine, that, um, an older gentleman in uh, Houston, Mississippi, Mr. John Calvin. He died at 102, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you just kind of let it all hang out after you hit 100, don't you? I mean, He was so old, Richard. Uh, he grew up in Mississippi, but when he became a man, he uh, moved to Washington, D.C. and worked for the government for many years. And if you are from Chickasaw County, you probably know who I'm talking about because he was around so long. He met everyone. Hmm. Uh, he was a fan of the Washington Senators. Okay. That was his baseball team. That's yeah. how old he was. He Well, that was like 70s, wasn't it? I don't know, but he retired, I believe, in the late 60s. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious what the uh, dates were for the uh, Washington Senators baseball. He told me he saw Walter Johnson pitch. And... 1901 to 1960. Yeah. Okay. He saw Walter Johnson pitch. And uh, if you're a baseball historian, baseball fan like I am, that, that was a long time ago. This was a fast three hours. Our thanks to Bill Parker from the National Weather Service, Michael Watson, the Secretary of State, Senator Nicole Aikens-Boyd from District 9, and our Lieutenant Governor, Delbert Hoseman, for joining us in the Element Wealth Studio. For Will East, I'm Richard Cross. In for Gerard. this is Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Don't forget Rebecca Turner coming your way at 2, and then Sports Talk Mississippi at 3. Have a great rest of your day, and be safe. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.